0: All right, let's talk about your 62-year-old lady with mantle cell.
1: Okay, this is a delightful woman, 62 years old. In January, she noted a small lymph node in the corner of her left jaw in the submandibular location. At first, it was felt to be an abscessed tooth, and she was treated with amoxicillin and clindamycin. but unfortunately, the mass continued to increase in size. She was seen by a local ENT who did a needle biopsy, (laughs) which was non-diagnostic. She went on to have a CT scan of her neck that revealed a large lymph node in the submandibular area and then was referred ultimately to the ENT surgeon in our group, who's actually an ENT oncologist. He did a PET scan that showed an intense hypermetabolic mass in the left submandibular region. There were multiple enlarged lymph nodes in the left neck, internal jugular, submental, posterior cervical, submandibular, and then also enlarged hypermetabolic lymph nodes in the left supraclavicular and left superior mediastinum. The mediastinal disease was with moderate uptake. There were some prominent lymph nodes in the posterior mediastinum showing mild FDG uptake. No disease below the abdomen. And so a biopsy was done, and the patient had the classic findings of mantle cell lymphoma, cyclin D1 positive, and I think they did fish her, and she had the appropriate translocation. I know they did the fish, you know, on her biopsy, they did the fish and showed the translocation to confirm the diagnosis. So we staged her at 2A, IPI score of one, based on age. She was CD20 positive.:
0: So what happened?
1: So we discussed treatment options. She's 62 years old. I told her that there are varying ways to treat mantle cell lymphoma from very aggressive regimens such as hyper-CVAD to our CHOP. We also talked about the fact that some mantle cells are a little bit more indolent, but I didn't think that that was the case for her. And we agreed that our CHOP seemed like the best regimen option for her based on the stage of her disease, based on her age, based on her lack of B symptoms and her IPI score.
0: Were you thinking that she was going to end up going to transplant or just getting our chop
1: I did not entertain the idea of transplant.
0: So what happened?
1: So she is currently undergoing RCHOP chemotherapy. She's completed three cycles. The submandibular lymph node has resolved. She's feeling well. She's tolerating the chemotherapy like a champ. She tells me she's cleaned her house about three times now which her husband verified that she has a lot of energy and she really is doing well. Her only real complaint is that her taste buds are just shot from the chemotherapy and she does get a little constipation. But she really is doing quite well.
2: Bruce, what is your thinking about this case? Well, this woman is fortunate to have been picked up at an early stage of the disease, but the therapy for mantle cell lymphoma is problematic. The hyper-CVAD regimen developed by Roma Guerra and coworkers at MD Anderson a number of years ago has been considered a standard for patients, particularly under the age of 60, 65. The older patients can't tolerate it very well. But in the early days, most patients also got transplanted, whether it be allo- or auto-transplants. With the incorporation of our hyper and some modifications of the regimen, it seemed to be controversial whether the additional transplant was needed. To further investigate this regimen, the Southwest Oncology Group conducted a phase two trial of r hyper that was presented a couple of years ago at ASH and in fact was unable to reproduce their findings. Therefore, you know whether this should be the standard or not is not clear. Now, R-CHOP has been used by a number of groups and whereas the response rate is very high, published 80, 90% with a lot of complete remissions, the durability of response has been disappointing ranging from 18 to 22 months. That's the median, so that there are some that are way out there, but there are some that are much shorter. So we clearly need better therapy for mantle cell lymphoma. There are other drugs which are effective in mantle cell lymphoma. There is bortezomib, which is approved. There is lenalidomide, which will hopefully get approved. And other drugs not approved include bendamustine. And we, in fact, are going to be studying in upfront mantle cell lymphoma a randomized trial of bendamustine rituximab, bendamustine bortezomib rituximab, and bendamustine rituximab followed by lenalidomide maintenance. This will be an intergroup study which addresses several important questions. Now, why are we interested in bendamustine rituximab up front? Well, because in the relapse setting, the response rate to BR in patients with relapsed refractory mantle cell lymphoma has been over 90% with 50%, 60% complete remissions lasting a median of about two years. Nothing else touches that in the relapse setting. So when it's that good in relapse, hopefully it will be even more efficacious when it's used up front. And so we're looking to develop better regimens for up front so we can get rid of our CHOP once and for all because we only use it because we use it for a large cell. We just use it in follicular because we use it for a large cell. The goal is to develop more disease-specific and patient-specific Therapies, and hopefully, we'll get to that point.
0: How do you approach off study, Bruce, upfront therapy in a patient like this?
2: Oh, it's going to change soon, but we're doing just what Dr. Deutsch said, and that is we tend to use our hyper CVAD for the high risk or younger patients and our CHOP for the older patients. But once this trial is open, we're going to put all our patients on this and hopefully prove that our CHOP is not what we need for this disease. Now, again, when you say r you mean without transplant? r without transplant in the older population, yeah.
0: Well, and how would you define older? I mean, this lady's 62.
2: The older I get, the older <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some of it is chronologic age and some of it is biologic age. But generally, in the studies, the hyper-CVAD regimen was not tolerable for patients over 65. In the North American studies that I alluded to, There will be a younger patient study and an older patient study. The younger will include transplant. The older I already mentioned, the cutoff being considered is 60.
0: In the trial, what about the issue of neuropathy and bortezomib? First of all, what's your experience and how do you utilize bortezomib in mantle cell? And what about the issue of bringing it earlier on up
2: front? Well, right. Bortezomib has some problems, zoster being one and neuropathy being another. When the drug is used on the weekly schedule, it has significantly less neurotoxicity, and I'm pushing to include it in our study in the weekly schedule. When it's day one, four, eight, and eleven, then you run a risk of neuropathy, and this is not always reversible. And we've had to take when we did the BVR study, the Bendamustine, Bortezomib, Velcade, Rituximab, we had a number of patients who had to come off study because of problems with neuropathy it's unfortunate now there are second generation proteasome inhibitors we're studying one mln 9708 and there are some others out there which will hopefully be as effective and maybe have less neurotoxicity but that remains to be seen
0: anything that can be done either preventively or therapeutically for the neurotoxicity other than changing the schedule or reducing the dose
2: not that i know of you know, there are some vitamin D cocktails that people use to try and treat the neuropathy. There's drugs like Lyrica and others which are used to treat the neuropathy, but with modest success. What did you think about the
0: report from the NCCN at ASH looking, I guess, at patients who are treated in the NCCN system, comparing, I guess, indirectly, or at least in terms of people in this database, RCHOP, RCHOP transplant, and R Hyperceived?
2: Well, What that study showed is what I've already said, and clearly R-CHOP is the loser all the way around. Every other regimen had an advantage over R-CHOP. We need to get rid of R-CHOP, just like we need to stop using CHOP for T-cell lymphomas. We use it because we use it in B-cell lymphomas. It's not the right way to practice hematology, oncology. We need to have more specific therapies. We have all these targeted drugs now. There's another drug I should mention. There are variants on the monoclonal antibody theme. There is TRU-16, which is a SMIP, a small modular immunopharmaceutical, which is a portion of an antibody molecule, which in vitro has more ADCC than rituximab, and which in vitro is synergistic with bendamustine. And a trial, of the combination of those two agents is underway. Then you have other constructs. You have drug-antibody combinations in which you have a poison that's linked to a monoclonal antibody that gets internalized and kills the cell. And then you have bispecific antibodies. There's one called a BITE, a bispecific T-cell engager, which has one part of an anti-CD19 and the other part hooks up to effector cells. And in a phase one trial, this drug, blinatumomab was highly effective against a variety of B-cell lymphomas. The problem was that at the higher doses, it was associated with some neurological toxicities, which were very worrisome. And the company says that they have developed an alternative schedule and way of giving the drug so that they can avoid this neurotoxicity.
0: Maggie, what's it been like to take care of this woman? Oh,
1: she's delightful. She came in, she was all about, I want to know, I want to plan, I want to do what I need to do and just, like, put my feet on the ground and move forward. She's a very nice woman. She always comes in with her husband. He's very supportive. Interestingly, we did have a discussion about her daughter who had a pseudolymphoma several years ago and sort of the genetic aspects or whether there was a genetic connection. But she's wonderful. She's quite easy to take care of.
0: <laughs> Any impressions you had about her personally, Bruce?
2: Yeah, she proves a point that I make to some patients with lymphoma, particularly those getting therapies such as Chop. That there are some patients who sail right through it. This woman walks three and a half to seven miles a day. I have patients who have run marathons in the midst of our chop, who have hired personal trainers in the midst of our chop, who work full time. And on the other end, you've got patients who claim to be totally disabled, who quit work, who are totally non functional. Now, how much of this is related to pharmacogenomics and metabolism of the drugs? How much of this is psychological? One could discuss that for a long time, but it's always rewarding to see the patient who can live as normal as possible in the context of getting nasty stuff like R-CHOP.